Hallelujah. God bless you tonight. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Chapter 3. As we try once again. Revelation chapter 3. And we will start with verse number 7. Read through verse 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so this is our fifth week of studying the church of Philadelphia. Let's put our Bibles down, let's lift our hands, lift our voices, and let's ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Could we do that, everybody? Let's talk to the Lord together. Come on, let's worship the Lord together, everybody. Let's worship Him together. Let's worship Him together. 
Everybody. Let's praise him right now. Let's give him thanks. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. I am going to try to um, abbreviate our review uh, quite a bit tonight so that I can do my best to get into another part of this lesson and try to finally uh, finish this lesson. Whether I accomplish that or not remains to be seen, but I'm going to try. And so, please bear with me tonight. I am going to trust that you are up to speed with us and where we are in this study so that I don't have to go back and go over the main points again. Let me instead just bring you to where we tried to start last week as we picked back up on this study of the letter itself. And we began to talk about, once again, the open door that had been promised to the church at Philadelphia. And I endeavored to begin explaining to you from the scripture just what uh, this open door meant and what it incorporated, what was involved in an open door. When God says to a church, as he has said to this church, that he has opened a door that no man can shut. What exactly does that mean? And what is God telling us? Now I pointed out um, more than once that Philadelphia was a crossroads. It was the heartland of the then known world. And so they had an opportunity to reach people from many different nations, many different kindreds and languages. But I do not believe that this open door was simply about their geography. I don't believe that it was only about where they were located and their ability to reach the world because of that location. The Lord had said to Philadelphia that I am opening this door because you have a little strength. You may not be as large as other churches, but you are strong in what you have. He said you have kept my word. You've remained faithful to the truth. And he said you've not denied my name. And because of this, I have opened a door to you. And so let's go back. Let's look at this again. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 8. Let's go back and read this verse again. Revelation 3 and 8. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, 
and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. I have set before thee an open door. Now I started last week showing you from the scripture that this promise of an open door was first and foremost a promise of revival. Is anybody going to help me tonight? It's a promise of revival. And I had a list of some four scriptural passages that I wanted to use to prove this point. We only got through two of those. So again, by way of review, I'm going to read the first two to remind you. And then we're going to pick up at that point and we're going to read the last two. But I want to drive this point home to you that when God says... I'm opening a door to a church. That door involves the promise of a great revival. Colossians chapter 4 verse 3. With all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. A door of utterance. To speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds. The apostle Paul realized he'd been in many cities He'd preached in many cities. He wasn't just saying, I want God to give me an opportunity to preach. But when he said a door of utterance, he was saying, God, I want you to open that door of revival so that when I preach, people respond. And then we read Acts 14, verse 27. Read. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them. And now he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. He opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And if you'll remember, this is as far as we got last week. We started talking about how the Gentiles were unworthy. But this open door, God opened a door to those that were not worthy. And he allowed them to experience salvation. That's what happens when God opens a door to the church. Now, that's only two of the four I wanted to discuss. And so, believe it or not, I'm only a few minutes in, and we're in new territory now. So we're going to do our best to, to plod on from here. So two more passages we want to talk, show you to, to prove to you that this open door is a promise of great revival. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse number 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel... And a door was opened unto me. A door was opened unto me of the Lord. And so once again, it was not just a matter of Paul finding a place to preach. Paul knew how to find places to preach. Paul could preach on the street corner if he needed to. Paul was, was a trained rabbi. He could walk into a Jewish synagogue and they would recognize him as a visiting minister and let him get up and teach in that synagogue. It wasn't a matter of, uh, I finally got a place to preach. But what he meant was, when God opened the door, people began to accept what I was preaching. Amen. We began to see souls saved and lives changed and people converted because of the preaching that was going on. 
That's what an open door will bring. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 8 and 9, read. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So here he says that at Ephesus, now we talked about this in weeks gone by, how that there was at one time a door that was open to Ephesus. But Ephesus backslid. Ephesus went away. They left their first love. But, but we want to focus right now on when that door was open to them. And I want to show you, here's what Paul said. He said, I'm going to stay right where I'm at because the door is still open. And as long as the door is open, I'm going to keep walking through it. As long as God assures me that this door is open, no man is going to be able to close it. Only God can step in and close the door. So as long as the door is open, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity I've got and I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving on to another city. I'm not looking for another place. I'm going to plant my feet right here because there's an open door. And he said it's an effectual door. It's effective. Things are being accomplished. Now, now listen, I want you to look at this. It's a great door. Everyone say a great door. It's an effectual door. Everyone say effectual door. Now listen, this is what happens when God opens a door to a church. It's great and it's effectual. Now how great and effectual was it? Well, let's go back to the book of Acts and read about what happened while Paul was tarrying at Ephesus and this door was open. This is found in Acts chapter 19, verse 10. And this continued by the space of two this years. This continued. Hallelujah. Now, look, we thought we had a long revival with Brother Sabala. But I'm telling you, Ephesus had a two-year revival. For two solid years, God poured his spirit out on the city of Ephesus. And listen to what happened as a result of this great and effectual door. Read. So that all, so that all they which dwelt, they which in, dwelt Asia. in Asia heard the heard word, of the, the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Listen to what he said. For two solid years, we saw a revival that did not stop in Ephesus. This door was so great and so effectual that the entire continent was affected by what took place in Ephesus. That's what I'm preaching about tonight. That's what I'm talking about tonight. Church, we got to get our eyes open tonight. We got to understand the value of the promise God made to us. We've got to quit looking at factors, uh, amen, that, that, that may mean something to the human eye and start seeing through the eyes of faith uh, what God has said to this church. Oh, I wish somebody believed what I'm saying tonight. I'm telling you, there's a great door. There's an effectual door that is open in the city of Olathe. And when God opened...
opens that door, it doesn't stop in this city. It doesn't stop in this county. It doesn't stop in this metropolitan area. It doesn't stop in this state. All the continent. Hallelujah. All of Asia, both Jews and Greeks. Now, you understand, this wasn't the usual fare for Paul. Paul had a hard time converting the Jews for the most part. They rejected him because he spent so much time with the Gentiles. And they'd spread rumors on him that he was breaking Moses' law. And he was trying to tear down Moses' law. And so for the most part, ears and hearts and minds were closed when Paul preached, as far as the Jews were concerned. But listen to me. When God opened the door in Ephesus, those closed minds swung on the same hinges as that door that God opened. Those closed hearts swung on the same hinges as that door that God opened. Is anybody hearing me? I'm telling you, people, I feel this tonight. People that you've witnessed to, you've talked to, you've prayed for, and the door's shut, their minds are closed, they don't seem to be interested, they don't seem to be hungry. You just wait, honey. I said, you just wait. You just wait. Because when God starts opening the door. Oh, hallelujah. Even the most securely closed mind has to open to the one who has the key. I got the key. Hey, do you know the Bible says that God turns the hearts of kings? Hey, he reached down to a heathen king by the name of Cyrus and put it in his heart to give the Jews money to go back and build their temple. Now, I'm telling you, God turns the hearts of kings God can turn the hearts of your loved ones, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers. Yes, that's right, Pastor. I've watched him do it. I said a little bit about it Sunday night, but I watched my dad make fun of Pentecost, laugh at it. But the first time he came down to the altar, God knocked him in the floor and filled him with the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, God knows how to use the key to unlock minds and unlock hearts. Oh, somebody get on board with me tonight. 
I'm telling you, God has said to this church, and he's confirmed it out of the mouth, amen, of more than one witness, that he's opened a door to this church. And when that door opens, hearts are going to open, and minds are going to open. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's what happens when God opens the door. Jews and Greeks. Everybody. Isn't that amazing? Read read that verse again, Acts 19 and 10. And this continued by the space of two years. Two years. So that all they... During those two years, all, everyone say all. All. All they. Which dwelt in Asia. Which dwelt in Asia. Heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Heard the word of the Lord Jesus. Now, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram. They didn't have internet. They didn't have radio. No, they didn't have phones. Didn't have cars. Didn't even have microphones or PA systems. But if we're going to take the word of God literally, everybody in the entire continent heard the truth. Now, he didn't say they all accepted the truth. But everybody on the continent heard it. Wouldn't that be a revival if everybody in North America? It's happened before. In fact, when revival swept across Los Angeles and the Holy Ghost was poured out at Azusa Street. It spread throughout this nation what was going on in that little mission. And it didn't stop with the borders of this nation, but people came from foreign countries. They came by boat. They sailed across the ocean to get to Los Angeles. You understand, if we really believe what I've preached to you, that God just constantly exceeds himself, then what happened here is not the high watermark. God's going to do that again and more. Oh, hallelujah. Now you understand North America. We're talking about a continent. Asia was a continent. We're not talking about a country. We're talking about a continent. It's where a lot of folks get confused 
When I talk about going to Africa, I've heard people say something about the country of Africa. No, Africa is not a country. Africa is a continent. And there are many countries on that continent. North America is not a country. It's a continent. Canada is on this same continent. Mexico is on this same continent. When you cross the border, you're still on the continent, but you're in a different country. The language can be different. The customs are different. The laws are different from country to country. But if God did this again and did it right here, Brother Nelson, in North America, just to do this would mean that everybody in the United States and everybody in Canada and everybody in Mexico would hear this one God, Jesus name, Acts 2.38 message. I want to see that happen. I want to see that happen. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. But if God exceeds himself, it's not just going to be Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. But it'll spread on down to Central America. And it'll go on down to South America. It'll spread on across to Europe. And on across to Asia. And down to Africa. I'm telling you. You know, I didn't put this in my notes. I should have. But you know, Jesus said, Jesus said while he was still walking on earth, he said, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all nations. Before he comes. It's going to be preached in all nations. Well, let me tell you, I'm just saying I know God opened a door right here. It might as well start right here. Let everybody in the city of Olathe hear this truth. Let everybody in Johnson County hear this truth. Let everybody in Miami County hear this truth. Let everybody in Lynn County hear this truth. And I could go on and on and on and on and on. That's what happens 
when God opens a great and effectual door. Praise God. Put that verse back up there, brother. I saw brother. Brother Josh went and got it for me. Thank you. Just want to prove it. Was said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations and then shall the end come. Mm. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and let this gospel spread. Get ready. Get ready. Come on, somebody. Get ready. Lift your sights. Let your faith rise. Get ready. Did God promise us an open door, didn't he? God cannot lie. He cannot lie. He cannot lie. All right, all right. Lord, is it that late? Hey, I've covered a few more scriptures. Now, let me tell you what else happened in this open door. Let's, let's read. We read verse 8, Revelation 3 and 8. Let's go to verse 9. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Uh-huh. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before my feet and to know that I have loved thee. I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. Now, let's, let's talk about this. Not only was this a promise of great revival, but obviously what he's making here is a promise of great victory. The word worship here, this may strike you as kind of strange because the Lord said, I'm gonna take those that are the synagogue of Satan. They say they're Jews and they're not. They lie. He said, I'm going to make them come and worship before your feet. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to make them worship you. This word worship, unfortunately, this is not the best way to translate this Greek word. It, it literally means to fall prostrate, prostrate, to fall prostrate, to fall on one's face. That's what the word means here. And, and when you look, uh, Strong's Greek Dictionary uh, gives an example here of a dog that is licking his master's hand. He has humbled himself completely and surrendered himself to the hand of the master. What Jesus is saying to the church at Philadelphia is I know there are those who call themselves something that they are not. And they hate you. And they talk about you. And they run you down. They despise you. But he said, I'm going to I'm going to turn the tables. And he said, something's going to happen. Something is going to take place. 
so that they are going to know. They may have hated you, but I love you. And they are going to bow themselves before you. Now this is not so that the people of Philadelphia would get lifted up in pride. What the Lord was saying to them was, I am going to I'm going to cause those who have opposed you and fought against you to basically come crawling back for forgiveness. Because they're going to see the hand of God so obvious and so evident upon you. Are you hearing me tonight? I'm not gloating. I'm not, I'm not. In fact, I really don't even want to hardly touch this. But I do want you to know this is not just a one-time thing that God would say this. More than once throughout the scripture, especially in the Old Testament, God made these kinds of promises to his people where he said, I'm going to cause your enemies to bow before you. I'm going to let them know that my favor is on you and they're going to ask you to give them a little bit of that favor. Let's go through these very quickly here. Uh, Psalm 105 verse 24. And he increased his people greatly and made them stronger. Than he their made enemies. them stronger than their enemies. I'm telling you what an open door is going to do for a church. I'm telling you what an open door is going to do for a church. We all know there are those that walk away and say what they want to say and run the church down. and, and all, We know that happens. But I'm going to tell you what God's going to do. God's going to make his people stronger than their enemies. Psalm 18, verse 48. He delivereth me from mine enemies. Uh -huh. Yea, thou liftest, liftest me up above those that rise up against you me. You lift me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Yes, Psalm 23, verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me. Hey, hey, hey. Now, those of you that thought this was a little strange in Revelation 3, 9, that I'm going to cause them to come and worship before your feet or to bow down before your feet, how many times have you quoted Psalm 23? And did you ever really think about what he was saying? Read it. Thou preparest a, Thou table, preparest a table before me, before me where? In the presence, of, in mine the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head. And while I'm in the presence of my enemies, that's when you put the anointing on me. My cup and that's when my cup starts running over with all your blessings. Right there while the enemy's watching. They're going to get to see where God's favor really is. In spite of all the things they've said, in spite of all the ways they've tried to stop the church, God said, I'm going to let them know that my hand is on you. And I'm going to show my favor while they watch on. Psalm 27, verses 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Mm -hmm. When the wicked, when the wicked, even mine enemies, enemies and, and my foes come upon me to eat up, eat up my flesh, they stumbled. They and stumbled fell. and they fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. I'm not going to be afraid. Though war should rise against me, in this will in I be confident. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord uh -huh. that will I seek after. That I may dwell, in the, I may house dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Why? To behold, to the, behold beauty the beauty of the, of the Lord. And to inquire, to inquire in, his in his temple. 
Because in the time of trouble, he's going to hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle, he's going to hide me. And he's going to set me up upon a rock. My head is going to be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore, will I offer sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. I'm talking about what happens when God opens a door for a church. Let me show you something else. Let me show you something else. I'm trying to hurry through this. Let me show you something else here. Now let's move on. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now, now look, he gave them a promise of great revival. He gave them a promise of great victory. And he gives them a promise of great protection. Listen to what he says. He said, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation. That's going to try everybody else when it comes. But I'll keep you. Another translation reads this way, so I will keep you from the time of trouble that will come to the whole world to test those who live on earth. Another translation says, because you've obeyed my command to endure, I will keep you safe during the time of testing, which is coming to the whole world to test those living on the earth. Here's what he said. He said, when the rest of the world gets tested, I'm going to keep you. I'm going to protect you. You're not going to feel what everyone else feels. Isn't that what he did to the Jews when they were in Egypt and he started sending plagues? Darkness settled upon Egypt, but in Goshen, there was light. The plagues hit Egypt, but in Goshen, God kept them safe. I'm telling you, church, we look around and we see all these things happening and we can start biting our fingernails and living in fear and in terror, wondering what in the world's gonna take place. We don't have to live in fear. No matter what happens, God's gonna keep his people. First Peter 1 verse 5, listen to this. Who are kept by the power of they God. They are kept. Everyone say kept. They're kept by the power of God. Through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, when I looked at this word kept, it is, it is a military term. And this is the same, the same Greek word when he said that I'm going to keep thee from the hour of temptation. Right. Same word. One's present tense, one's past tense. But it's the same word in the original. Both, both in the present and the past. It is a military term that means to guard, to protect by a military guard, either to prevent hostile invasion or to keep the inhabitants of a besieged city from flight. I'm going to keep you safe no matter what happens. I am going to cause the angel of the Lord to encamp round about you. You're going to be protected by a heavenly host. 
it's going to be like the prophet's servant when he said, alas, my master, how shall we do? And the man of God said, Lord, just open his eyes. And he looked around and behold, those that were with them were more than those that were against them. I'm telling you, church, we've got an army. We've got an army of angels that have been assigned to take care of us. It doesn't matter what happens. God's going to keep his people. Amen. Amen. I'm trying. I'm trying to get through this. Amen. Verse 11. This is the most verses I've covered in five weeks out of this chapter in Revelation, out of these verses in Revelation 3. All right. Revelation 3, verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Now, he says, I am coming quickly. So hold on to what you have. That no man take thy crown. Do you know what he's doing? He is admonishing them to keep the reward in sight. This term, hold fast, means to have in one's power. To be the master of something. To hold it and not let it go he's saying to them in the Riggin revised get a grip difficult times are coming problems are going to arise get a grip hold on to what you've got don't let the good report I've given of you be shaken in any way you hang on to it for dear life. You wrap your hand around it and don't let anybody pry your fingers loose. And he said, the way this is going to happen, he said, remember that crown. This is how we're going to hang on. By not letting our eyes get focused on the problem. But keep them Focused on the promise. We got to stay focused on what's coming. On what God's going to do. On the reward he's going to give us. Keep your eyes on the prize. Have you already dismissed tonight or are we still here? Keep your eyes on the prize. He said, this is what will happen. If you'll keep hanging on, there's a reward coming. And what a reward it is. I'm going to put a crown on you. Now, let me tell you very quickly, there are three crowns that are promised in the Scripture. You ready for this? Very quickly, three crowns that are identified in New Testament Scripture. First of all, 2 Timothy 4, verse 8. Henceforth, there is later for me a crown of righteousness. A crown of righteousness. Everyone say a crown of righteousness. All right, who gets that crown? Which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me not only, to me only but, unto all but to all them that love, that his, love appearing. his appearing. He said everybody that loves his appearing gets a crown of righteousness. All right, there is a second crown, James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. 
for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. He receives the crown of life. Which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. He's promised to them that love him. Amen. Those that love him enough to live for him through the trial, they get the crown of life. And then there's a third crown, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being ensamples to the flock. But, and when the chief shepherd, and when shall, the chief appear, shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive you shall receive a crown of glory, crown of glory that, fadeth not away. that fadeth not away. This third crown is a crown that is promised to those who feed his flock. So there's a crown of righteousness to those who love his appearing, a crown of life to those who love him, and a crown of glory to those who love his sheep. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, church, if we can keep our eyes focused on the crown, if we can stay focused on the crown, it's not going to matter what trial comes our way. It's not going to matter what temptation hits if we can stay focused on the crown. And so then we finally get to the closing of this letter. Amen. Believe it or not, the closing of the letter. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 12. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out. And I will write upon him the name of my God, and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my new name. All right, let me try to go through this very quickly here. A lot that is found in this one verse. It's obviously a long verse, and, and there's a lot here. Jesus says, him that overcometh. Now remember, he's just told them, hold fast what you've got. He's just told them, I'm going to keep you in that hour of temptation. So there are troubles coming, Philadelphia. But hold on to what you've got. Stay faithful. Overcome. And if you overcome. Now, the promises he's made before this, this promise of an open door, these things that he said, these were promises that were general in nature to the whole church. But now he narrows it down and makes promises to specific individuals who meet certain criteria. To him that overcometh, I've got another promise. I've made a promise just to the church, but I'm going to pick out those within this church that are going to see to it that they make it to the end. And to him that overcomes, I've got some promises just for you. Not to the church in general, but to you individually. And here's what he said. First of all, he said, I'm going to make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Now this is interesting because you understand that the temple of God that was built actually had pillars in it. First Kings chapter 7 verse 21. Listen to this. And he set up the pillars in the porch of the temple. This is when Solomon built the temple. This is what he included in the temple. He set up pillars 
in the porch of the temple. And he set up the right pillar. A right pillar. And called the name of it Jacob. Jacob. And he set up the left pillar. He set up the left pillar. And called the name of name thereof Boaz. And he named it Boaz. So there were two pillars that were in the temple of God. Jacob and Boaz. Jacob means God will establish. Boaz means God is strength. So you've got two pillars. God will establish and God is strength. And you put those two pillars together and what's holding up the temple is this fact that God will establish his house by his strength. Now, church, remember, what did he say to Philadelphia? I know thy works. He said, I've set before thee an open door because, what? You had a little strength. But he said, let me tell you what I'm going to do. You hang on. You hold on for just a little while longer. And I'm going to turn you into a pillar. I'm going to establish. Oh, hallelujah. I feel this. I'm going to establish my house by my strength. You've made it this far by a little strength. But I'm going to establish this house by my great strength. You may just be a small church now, but I tell you, I'm going to do something phenomenal. I'm going to raise something up by the power of my strength. Oh, hallelujah. I'll make him a pillar. In the temple of my God, he said, verse 12, let's, let's look at it again. I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he shall go no more out. Well, that just makes sense. That makes sense because that pillar is there, immovable, steadfast, unshakable. You endure what's about to come on you. You hang on through the temptation that's about to be unleashed. And God said, I'll tell you what's going to happen as a result. You're going to be clothed with my strength and you're not going to have to worry about it anymore. You're going to be strong. You're going to be steadfast, unshakable, unmovable. Nobody's going to be able to budge you. Nobody's going to be able to touch you. You're going to be strong by the power of my might. And then he said... And I'm going to write on him the name of my God. Well, isn't that what Solomon did? When he wrote Jacob, that means God will establish. So his name is there. And Boaz means God is strength. So his name is there. And the Lord said, I am going to write on this pillar that name. You see, anybody that walked up to the temple and they saw God will establish, 
and God is strength. They knew to whom this building belonged. They knew who was the owner and proprietor and manager and caretaker. Is anybody hearing me tonight? They knew who was the protector of this house because his name was written there. And that's what the Lord is saying. You hang on for a little while and I'm going to put my name publicly on you. Amen. Everybody that walks up is going to know who you belong to. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen. One writer said the name of God would be conspicuously recorded on it to show that he belonged to God. The allusion is to a public edifice on the columns of which the names of distinguished and honored persons were recorded. That is where there is a public testimonial of the respect in which one whose name was thus recorded was held. The inscription of the name shows ownership. All one has to do is to look at the name inscribed on the pillar and they know to whom that building belongs well praise God and I'm telling you that's what the Lord is promising to those that will hold on to those that will be faithful to the end I'm almost done give me just a few more minutes amen but he said I'm going to write on him I'm going to write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God which is new Jerusalem now he said I'm not just going to put the name of the owner here but I'm going to put the name of the city of which this person is a citizen I'm going to let the whole world know where they belong because we're just strangers and pilgrims down here our home is in a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God our home is in a city that has walls of jasper gates made from one pearl read it that's what it says Streets of pure gold. Rivers of crystal. A city where there's no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no tears, no death, no parting, no sin, no temptation. No devil. No prayer. Only worship. That's the city. It's going to be written on this pillar so the whole world knows. You want to talk about an address change notification. When God writes the name of that city, I see, I see folks wearing their little flag lapel. You know, what they've done is they've written on their clothing, I'm a citizen of the United States of America. 
But God's going to do more than just pin a flag on our lapel. And he's going to tell the world, these are not citizens of any nation down here. They're strangers down here. They're citizens of a place that is to come. Well, praise God. Hallelujah. And then he said, then he said, he said, and I'm going to write on him my new name, my new name. Now let's talk about that for just a minute. I want you to consider another verse from Revelation. Revelation 19, verse 12. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew, but he This is chapter 9, verse 12. Revelation 9, verse 12. There we go. Read it again. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name And he had a name written. That no man knew. That no man knew. But he himself. But he himself. Now, this is obviously talking about Jesus. And everybody knows his name. But you have to understand the mindset behind this phrase that no man knew his name. It didn't mean that nobody knew what the name was. It meant that nobody really understood the importance of that name. That nobody really appreciated the true value of that name. And all that that name represents. Now none but the Christian can even come close to knowing the value of that name. But I'm telling you, I don't know that we fully understand it. Because our minds are limited. But one day the limits are going to be taken off. When this mortal puts on immortality, there's no more limits. Then we're going to know even as we are known. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I, I said that because I believe that's exactly what's being said here. When he says, I'm going to write on him my new name. I believe this is a reference to the same kind of idea. Not that Jesus has a different name at this time. But he's saying this is a name, amen, that, that is unknown to anybody else. It's not appreciated by anybody else. But I'm going to write on him that name that is above every name. And it becomes a new name to us when it's written upon us. Name change was something that was familiar to the people of Philadelphia. Their name, the name of that city was actually changed four times in the history of the city. Each time an earthquake had happened. And a particular emperor would give them money and relief and help them to rebuild. And so they would then rename the city in honor of the emperor. So they knew what it was to have a new name put on them. But this new name is not to honor us. You see, the new name of that city was to honor the one who rebuilt it. The one who made it good again. And so that's why he writes his name on us. Because we are now bearing the name of the one who made us good again. The one who rebuilt us. The one who fashioned us. All right, last verse, last verse. Revelation 3, verse 13. 
he that verse 13, hear, he that hath an ear to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the He church. that hath an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now listen, I just want to remind you that these letters, I pointed this out last week, were to be read to all the churches. It was admonishing the other churches to hear what he had said to Philadelphia. How he had commended them. How he had found nothing to condemn in them. And again, he wasn't just saying, listen to these words. But he was warning them, don't be like the people of Israel. Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11 describes them. Read. But they refused to hearken and pulled away the shoulder and stopped their ears that they should not hear. James said it this way. Don't just be a hearer of the word. Be a doer. And that's what the Lord is saying when he says, he that hath an ear to hear, let him hear. Don't just let the words come into the ear canal. But he said, do something about it. Church, let's stand tonight. We've been given a promise. A promise that is equal to that made to the church at Philadelphia. We should not, we cannot take that promise for granted. We need to act on it. I've spent these five lessons talking about this church, the church of Philadelphia, and this church, the true church. Let us put these things into practice. Let us believe them with our whole heart. Let us act on them. A few weeks ago, we talked to you about the vision. We talked to you about a goal. We are just, just a short ways away, a couple of months away from the time we are to achieve our first goal. Let me ask you tonight. I don't want to see a show of hands. I don't want a verbal answer. But let me ask you so you can ask yourself, what have you done? to help bring this vision to pass. What have you done since the presentation of that vision to help us reach that goal? Are we going to be hearers only? Or are we going to be doers? Are we going to step through this open door? Or are we just going to sit back and shout about the day that it comes? I'm telling you, I'm ready to go through it. I'm ready to do my part. Well, hallelujah. I'm ready to do my part. Anybody else feel that way? I know the hour's late. I want us to gather around the front. As they, as they sing tonight, I want us to lift our hands. I want us to recommit ourselves right now. God, I want to do everything I can do to bring the vision about. I want to walk through this open door. I want to see the fulfillment of all that it involves. Bring it to pass, Lord.